Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a plebeian. And I am Shanelin Mercy. Welcome to episode 167, In Your House 3. Three belts. One match. We forgot the triple header. Uh, triple <laughs> header, I think, was given to it like after the fact. Okay, uh, okay yeah, I don't have that... Uh... And minus triple header. Three belts, one match. We're good. We're good to go. Damn right. This was the third in your house produced by the WWF. It would take place on September 24th, 1995 from the Saginaw Civic Center in Saginaw, Michigan with an attendance of 5,146 people and a buy rate of 160,000. Not too shabby. Those numbers are going down, boys. Yeah, they're not. They are, but they're not. They're not great. But I'm sure they turned a profit. I mean, there's a good chance they they turn one. What was the highest buy rate? Like 190, maybe. I mean, I know the, the first one was first a big... in your house did like 230, 240, yeah. something like that. It was yeah. one of those things where it's like, oh, the benefit of the lower price. Lower price, yeah. But and, we're also not here giving away a free house. Yeah, we don't have like some of these shows. It's not like Brett on top. Mabel's your king of the ring. I mean. There's uh, some great talent, and there's some Shanelin Mercies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. But we are in Saginaw, Michigan. Saginaw. Which is just outside Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I had, could have t- told me it was anywhere in Michigan. I'd be like, sure. Yep. Saginaw, why not? I've never been to Saginaw. I've never been to Detroit. I've never been to Michigan, so... I've been to Ann Arbor. One of these damn days I'll get up there. I ate some sushi. It's not a horrible state. No. I mean, it's land of a thousand lakes or whatever, so. Yeah. Lake life, baby. That's right. Up north, there is a city called Traverse City. It's a... Do you traverse a far to get there? Ha! ha! <laughs> <laughs> what's in tra- What's the... the there, uh, there's a film festival in Traverse City oh. every year. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a cute little town. Like, the downtown area is super cool. They have a the, an old theater. Oh, uh, that's cool. There. Um, so is it like a... I guess it's it's not like, you know, it, one of the... It's not like Tribeca or... What's the one in Colorado? The Redford one? Sundance. Sundance. Or... That's know, in Utah. Or Utah. Maybe. They're close enough. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally... Yeah, but it's like they're... It's by some smaller Oops. films, right? Yeah, they usually show smaller... Smaller films and stuff like that. That's cool. I think I would really enjoy a uh, film festival. 
always wanted. I mean, I've been to the Dead Center Film Festival, but I've always wanted to go to one of those. I've always big, wanted to go to a bigger one, like yeah. Sundance or South by, or even uh, TIFF is a pretty big one. Just up in Toronto, Toronto always gets a, always gets uh, quite a few. Uh, it seems exhausting, movies. but pretty fun. Also, it's like some there's so many times where there's a movie that I want to see, and it was at like Sundance like a year ago, and then living in Oklahoma, I have to wait like a full year and three months before it plays. It a theater here for like you know three showings and i'm the only person in there there's some exceptions where people actually show up because the movie's got enough uh you know buzz about it but when i finally got to see like portrait of a lady on fire uh it was like probably me and like three other people because <laughs> it was already on hulu at that point i just wanted to see it in the theater for the first before i watched it any other way because i was anticipating it highly but yeah now my sister's always talking about a place in michigan I had to look it up just a second ago because I couldn't remember what the hell it was called. But she's uh, Mackinac Island. Yep, her favorite movie is Somewhere in Time yep. with Christopher, Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. I've been there as well. Yeah, oh, she's cool. she's gone there and visited, and yeah. So literally, you have to get to the island. You have to take a ferry. There are no cars allowed on the island. That sounds awesome. Everything has to be most the transportations, uh, bikes. Uh, there's a few. Mopeds. Uh, a few horse uh, uh, carriages. Horse carriages. Um, I think they've got rickshaws now. Or rickshaw, something. Do yeah. They? Like a like a with a like a human like a rickshaw where a human pulls yeah, in. Like but there there's an that's old awesome. uh, army fort there as well. Uh, that's that's cool. like torn down now, but they still do. You can go up there and look around. They do tours and stuff like that. But yeah, when we did a big trip, I assume yeah, it's like restaurants we and. Yeah, it's just stores it's and stuff. small. Like it's basically your small town feel. Is it like Eureka Springs, just on an island. Basically. Yeah, that sounds fun. I've been to Adrian, Michigan, which people that live there call it the drain because you can't get out, <laughs> uh, and it, supposedly there's lots of heroin use. This is where you come to die, and you just circle. Uh, yeah, uh, and I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, why don't you leave? Uh, oh, I guess I was wrong God. about Saginaw. What's that? It's actually, it's like actually looks like about like an hour away. Okay. Okay. That's. That's Saginaw, and Detroit is... Okay, so it's it's the Tulsa to Oklahoma City. Detroit's there. Yeah. Well, all we yeah, all I can say is I hope that Saginaw has clean water. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, Detroit, RoboCop. That's what I think. When I hear Detroit, I think of RoboCop and the movie Blue Collar. <laughs> and see, I think of Detroit Rock City. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think of For the Love of the Game. What a weird movie. <laughs> I just watched it recently. It's about the Detroit Tigers. So. Yeah, it's no. just, it's just, yeah. It is a, I was just trying to think of, what the hell is the Tigers? I was trying to think of something from what a, Like, yeah, what a movie where the baseball stuff is some of the best baseball stuff in a movie, and then the uh, relationship stuff is some of the worst relationship stuff yes. I've ever seen in a movie. It's crazy. It's because it's not about for the love of the person, it's for the love of the game, uh, so. Yeah. If I could just rewrite that All movie. All the passion uh, is there. It feels like it'd be pretty easy, but a waste of time <laughs> to even think about for the love of the game. For the yeah, I would. Th- I think there's only one the. Doesn't matter. Who cares about the, that Kevin Costner movie? It's his least good baseball movie because the other two are awesome. Correct. But we are in Michigan. We are. So what did Shane bring us this week? Well, here in Michigan, I, I did some some looking around trying to figure out what the hell is Michigan known for. Since it was close to uh, Detroit, I decided we'd go for some Detroit-style pizza. 
How do we get Detroit-style pizza in Oklahoma City, you ask? We go to an awesome place that we discovered a few months back. It's been around for a couple years now, but I had never eaten there until a few months ago when we went for SmackDown, searching around for after-show deliciousness, and stumbled into a place called The Parlor, which features a bunch of different restaurants inside. It's a, a collective, so there's like seven restaurants, two bars, all kinds of fun stuff. And one of the featured restaurants in there is a place called Providence Pizza. They specialize in both Providence-style and Detroit-style pizzas. Uh, if you've never had a Detroit-style pizza, it is a... It's not a, a full-on deep dish pizza, but it is a very thick, bready crust, very reminiscent of breadsticks that they just load up with all kinds of toppings. I went for the first one, the Motor City, which is one that we had had the uh, first night we went there, checked it out. It's pepperoni, fresh basil, ricotta cheese, red sauce, and then uh, some Romano sprinkled on top. I also went for one called the White Top, which is their vegetarian offering spinach, roasted garlic, artichoke hearts, ricotta. Uh, it's got lemon in there apparently uh, and some Parmesan cream as the sauce. Super tasty, very, very beautiful pizzas. I mean, it's this one is enough for a couple people to share, but if you were hungry, one of these would do you just right because it's cut into four good sized square pieces, a little smaller in size than what your old rectangle lunchroom pizza was but it's like four of those slices stacked on top of each other with nothing but flavor crispy edges along the side i'm gonna take a bite because that's what i do so let's get some crunch maybe i just bumped the pizza in the microphone too i mean you know so i heard a solid crunch there yeah. is a solid crunch yeah. there's definitely it's kind of like delicious yeah what if the what if you made the world's best like pan like breadsticks, but we're like, well, fuck garlic butter. Why don't we just turn this into a pizza? Because it is fluffy and filling, but it's not as dense as it looks. Although it's probably dense in calories. Oh yeah, it's. Which slice did you like better? I am a kind of a traditionalist with pizza, as far as like being a kid who we're not from a pizza place. We're in in Oklahoma. It's like. Oh, you just get like Domino's or whatever. But yeah. I'm pretty into uh, just uh, red sauce, pepperoni. I don't mind. You can put anything on it. I'm going to eat it. But if I was going to order it, I typically go something more traditional in the sense of, you know, pepperoni, United or States, like, uh, <laughs> you know, pizza oh, yeah. offerings. I, I uh, so uh, they're both great. But yeah. I mean, come on, give me some give me some red sauce and some cured meats. Flavor wise for me, same thing. The Motor City... I think is my favorite of the two. The uh, the white top is good. It just it's missing. The, the white top something. surprised like, me. The white top surprised me, and I think I liked it better. Yeah. I uh, think if they would have sprinkled it with a little bit of just even crushed red pepper, I think yeah. that's all that's missing for me is that that heat at the end. But flavor wise, mm. fuck yeah, just I mean, a tiny a little zing. Whole roasted cloves of garlic on there can't go wrong. There's a handful of like specialty p- pizza places in Oklahoma City, but this one is the most unique. We've got a handful of, like, buy-the-slice places where you get bigger New York style or whatever, but... I mean, I haven't had a Pizza Hut pan pizza in forever, and this is kind of what it reminds me of, that breadier crust from back in the day with the burnt burnt cheese cheese on the edge. This is the best pan pizza I've probably had in Oklahoma. Definitely. Because there's not a lot of them, but uh, this one's got that... Where the bottom's, like, almost fried because... 
all the cheese oil. I think we definitely give it six thumbs up. Oh, yeah. Providence Pizza. So if you're definitely in Oklahoma City, check them out. Do it. You will not regret it. Well, something that happened right around the same time, the same weekend as In Your House 3, films such as Empire Records, Love it. Seven, Love it. and Showgirls Ooh, were all it. released into the theater. I mean, what a lineup. And I'm sure that, I mean, Showgirls one of the most like panned movies of all time. <laughs> Empire Records, a cult classic, and then Seven is like the beginning of uh, one of, the one of one of the guys that has the most attention to detail, like the, his first breakout hit, and I'm sure that Seven, probably I assume that it cleaned up. I don't know how well it did when it came out, but it is a movie where anytime somebody brings it up, people yell, "What's in the box?" Ah, I figured. Yeah. I know you. I know you get it. <laughs> Be silly. Yep. No, if all of these ones. I mean, I was 18 in college at the time, and uh, Empire Records. I fell in love with it immediately. Just the cast alone was great, just because they all played played well off of each other. It was fun. It was punk. It was. It's very like what if uh, Mallrats put in a record store? Exactly, but just a what's little not better. to love? Less dick and fart jokes. It is more, a little bit better. Of a movie. More Lolita, I guess. <laughs> and it's got Guar in it, so that's cool. Exactly, it's got Guar. I mean, it's got. Uh, oh, why the hell am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? Maxwell Caulfield plays Rex Manning. Yeah, a movie that, like... And people still celebrate Rex Manning Day. Rex Manning yeah, Day. Yeah, for a, fa- a fake pop star. April 8th, every year, Rex Manning Day. It's it's a thing. Was Rex Manning supposed Dan to be kind of like George, George Michael-esque? No. I'm, I'm trying to figure out who exactly they were going for. It's kind of... Rick Astley? Barry Gibbs-ish. Oh, yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been a while since I watched it. Yeah. So I mean, I the only thing that I had really known Maxwell Caulfield for before uh, Empire Records was Grease 2. And oh. Where he sang just as horribly bad as he did in this movie. I mean, you got Liv Tyler. You've got the the breakout of Renee Zellweger. Robin Tunney. Yeah. Ethan Embry. That's his name. I was Is like, that the, the curly-haired guy? The, yeah, the pothead one? Yeah. Um, yeah, just the... Uh, Rory Cochran, I think is his name. Who the hell was the main dude in that one? Anthony Lepa- Anthony Apalia. That's right. Debbie Mazar. Debbie Mazar. Yep. Oh, I love Debbie Mazar. Yeah, it's got just a, an all-star lineup of you know sidekicks from a bunch of other movies, you know, up-and-comers that. Toby McGuire's in it too. Mm. Oh yeah, old old Spiderman himself. <laughs> It all comes full circle. <laughs> um, yeah, Empire Records, great soundtrack, great movie. If you've never watched it, highly recommend it. If you if you need a, a dose of the 90s, this one hits on all levels. Definitely probably one of the best ones for, though, like, pop culture-wise, which is like, oh, here's just the vibe. Yeah, for, for people that have never been inside of a Tower Records <laughs> because they don't exist anymore and you're 22, you just watch this movie. This was you get movie. the feeling. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to get snotty about it, watch High Fidelity. But if you want to have fun, you can do it here. I Great watched, double feature there. Honestly, yeah, I like both. Oh of yeah, them. it's like high school and, and college for sure. Yeah, Empire Records was one when I worked at Blockbuster. I put that one all the time as my opening movie or my closing movie, just because it was one I had seen so many times at 
like yeah. like sixteen candles where I can just quote the movie as it's going on and not really have to pay attention. Mm, sixteen candles or pretty in pink. Sixteen candles. Yeah, I'm a pretty in pink guy. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love I mean, Miss Ducky, great. but yeah. you can't get over Jake Ryan. <laughs> Seven, another one. Fucking incredible movie. And you were incorrect about it cleaning up at the awards. Oh, it didn't. It only had, was a nominee for film editing. Oh, I meant like just at the box office monetarily. Oh, okay. But yeah, oh. I was I was figuring that it maybe I wasn't sure if it did well in the theater or not. I know that it was a cable classic and it is a obviously very well regarded movie because it's beginning. It's like the first time David Fincher gets to put it all together post it did Alien a Three. Hundred in the U.S., three hundred and twenty-seven worldwide. Pretty fucking huge. For yeah. yeah, and I'm sure the budget was a lot. Thirty three. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, that's a fucking bona fide hit for sure. Yeah, I saw this one opening weekend. Uh, I remember taking my nephew Brandon because that was the first time I'd ever encountered where I went to the theater to buy tickets and they told me I wasn't old enough. I'm like, I'm 18 years old, so why are you telling me I can't buy this? Well, you can't. You can't buy for him because. Oh yeah. You're not technically an adult because. I mean, that movie Back is then, you still gnarly. had to wait until you were 19 before you did a lot of stuff. But, yeah, it's like, so I can ask this stranger over here that's 27 to buy us a ticket, and it's okay, but me, his uncle, <laughs> five years older than him, you're not going to let me buy it. All right, cool. Yeah. Mr. Dude, buy me a ticket. Yeah, I didn't get to see 7 until it hit VHS or DVD Yeah, or I watched it, it and, in, like, high school probably, way after the fact. absolutely fell in love with the movie. Yep. And it's a gnarly movie, but it's just so well-constructed. I mean... Kevin Spacey again, back to back weekends after last yeah. week with oh, Usual Suspects. Yeah. He was the unlisted name in this movie because they didn't want to give away yeah. him being in it at all. Attention to detail, like I said, that's yep. uh, Fincher's thing. Uh, this feels like the the like practice run for Zodiac later. Yeah, I can totally see that. I yeah. mean, like, and by practice run, I mean they're definitely. Different vibes, but they both are serial killer Dark, related. Gritty, mm-hmm. edgy, Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Gwyneth Paltrow. Unfortunately, this is the only movie that Andrew Kevin Walker ever wrote that was really any good. Okay, let's see what else he did. What Maybe that was just Fincher like polishing a turd. Brain scan. Oh, I love brain scan. It's bad, but I love it. Eight millimeter. Disgusting film. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow. Uh never watched it, but I know those later Tim Burton's are not for me. Johnny Depp and um, uh, Christina Ricci, right? Probably. Sleepy if it's not her, yeah. it's Helen and Bob yeah, Carter. Yeah, like I can picture the commercial with her going, Hey, come on! Yeah. Those later Burton's I just don't have the energy for. And then he didn't get another job for another ten years. Oh, what did he come back with? The Wolfman. Oh. The one that's coming out Benicio now? Del Toro one? Or... I think yes. they were re- okay. Uh, okay, the one. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody I totally saw that. I about one. that one. <laughs> I think that was directed by Joe Johnston too. And then he didn't do anything again until last year, when he did a movie called Windfall, which is on Netflix. Never heard of it. With uh, Jason Segel, Lily Collins, and Jesse Plemons. Huh. Well, that's an interesting cast. Those three people don't really feel like they should be in the same movie, but why not? And then what was our other one here? Showgirls? Oh, yes. From, Showgirls. From, uh, the scariest movie of all time. <laughs> yes, from our uh, wonderfully disgusting uh, Dutch director. Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. Why can't I remember? Yep. That's silly. RoboCop's one of my favorite movies. We're in Detroit. <laughs> uh, Showgirls, I've only ever seen on cable, so I've never really seen Showgirls. Was he the one that was behind Basic Instinct? 
Yes. Okay. Basic Instinct, sure Showgirls, RoboCop, Total Recall. Even uh, though they're nothing alike, back in the day, for some reason, I would confuse just because of the name Verhoeven and Valanche. Uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, Verhoeven so really yeah, has right, mostly Troopers. bangers. Great movies. I hated Starship Troopers. I mean, it's, one, it's so good. <laughs> I love it. But uh, he just put out his first movie in like a decade this year uh, called uh, Benedetta, and it's uh, really fucking good. Hmm. It's like based on a true story of like some like lesbian nun from like a plague era. Yeah, it's you gotta have the fucking, lesbian it's factor fucking, in there. Oh yeah, it's fucking, <laughs> it's very Verhoeven and totally yeah. worth your time if you're a fan of his. As much hype as this movie got, I still feel for Elizabeth Berkley because yeah. her, her career paid the price for it for several years. But I'm sure my boy, like Kyle MacLachlan's one of my favorite people on the planet. And, but it's uh, also I, kept going, her in the main I'm going to too. admit this. Uh-huh. I don't think this movie is bad. No, by I any can't. Means. I've been meaning to re to watch it as an adult for a long time. No, I've and watched this it several times. Do. And the thing, I, seriously, the thing that freaked people out was they took straight laced Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell and put her as a topless showgirl, and the world couldn't handle it. Isn't there a reading on it Spano. that this movie is like kind of tongue in cheek? It would make sense because he's been very tongue in cheek, firmly. Like that's why people. People didn't get Starship Troopers, even though it's like it, the first thing you see in the movie is a giant iron eagle. It's like, like yeah, people just didn't get it. They were, and it's like, well, how do you not understand it? It's like right in front of you. I and mean, you come close. It just doesn't wink at the camera, so that's the. You the give me Neil problem. Patrick Harris, and I'm happy. But then you throw Denise Richards in there, and it's like, what the fuck are we even doing well, here? St- Starship Troopers is <laughs> it's nine hundred two one zero, but like World War Two propaganda in space. Like it's because I mean, it's so good. Casper Van Dien. I've liked him in a lot of stuff. And he's the perfect role because he's not a good actor. Mm-hmm. And he is this handsome Ken doll. Uh, it's great. But I have to admit, I think this might have been the first movie that I realized who Gina Gershon was. Oh, yeah? Like, I'm, sure she was I'm, I'm sure she was in other things before that I'd seen her in, but like, I mean, she gets naked, so it's kind of like, oh, she's fucking hot. You know, she, whatever. She, she likes to get but yep. bound. She does a good job. In the movie as well. Not yeah, yeah. And I mean, when it comes good. to playing a bitch, Gina Gershon is good, and she can come from all angles on it. Yeah, you know, she's not the the same one note bitchy character. She'll she'll cut you. Yeah. She'll rip you with her words. She'll knock you down a flight of stairs. She'll yeah. It's like she's not a large person, but you believe that Gina Gershon could kick your ass. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing I remember her in was Cocktail. She was in Pretty in Pink. Girls uh, just want to have fun. Huh? See, she goes way back. Yeah, but yeah her, Elizabeth Berkley, Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, one day we'll run out of wrestling and we'll just do a movie podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about all this stuff long enough, don't we? <laughs> yeah, sure do. Well, let's talk some wrestling. Let's get let's get to what the main event here. Let's do it. WF logo before narration over a highlight video of competitors from the evening. The triple header match is a game of jeopardy. All three titles will be on the line. In one match. The reward for success is high, but the price of failure is equally great. The match will test the medal of a champion and the bonds of friendship. We then get the In Your House logo before more highlights. And Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, joined by Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross for commentary. We missed JR? We missed one of the most important parts. 
the intro song because it, it's the same song but depending on where they are they do they change the style of the song and since we're uh, in michigan they do like a motown like soul version well, the of the in your they, house song. It's the same one they did in the first one it, oh okay because uh, they did like the country one yeah they did the country okay. version wow i mean it's this one is so good yeah it's just so silly and fun uh I'm just happy. I guess I was happy to hear it again. Didn't even remember uh, it the first time. I was just like, oh, they did a soul version because the last time was the country one. But this is the first time Lawler and Ross are at a table together. I mean, hmm. foreshadowing? The Lord had a plan. Exactly. Who'd have thought it all came together at In Your House? Thank you, Saginaw. There's a few things that come together and some that don't. And in your house three. So we go to our first match. Savio Vega versus Waylon Mercy. Good evening, counselor. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what was who, what this was, and then they immediately told me. And I was like, yeah. what a weird choice for a wrestling persona. Cape Fear. Robert De Niro doing a country a hillbilly that read a bunch of books. Here's the biggest question, though. Did Michael know who Waylon Mercy was? Uh, I recognized his face, and then I had to look it up. I'm surprised you didn't get it just right off the bat. I know. I think it was the face tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's his favorite. Dan Dangerous Dan Spivey. Telling you, without Waylon Mercy, we would not have had a Bray Wyatt because he he picked up a lot of what Bray or what uh, Waylon could have been. And, and we haven't seen him. Since Starcade '92, all the way back in episode '80, he's been working on this persona for so long, guys. Exactly. I mean, tattoos take time. You got to pick the right one. So Vince sends us to a video package to see Savio's first appearance at the first in your house, where he helped raise a Ramon. We then get a Mercy vignette where he's sitting on a rock with a smile on his face, and Waylon says he doesn't like other wrestlers touching him. And if they do, he will squash them like a worm. He then proceeds to smash a worm on his hand and turn to the camera. You know what I mean. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Yep. <laughs> it very it's, much it's, is. it's as bizarre as Nero doing a southern accent. Have you seen a southern man that looks anything like Robert De Niro? <laughs> that, no. is a, that is a New York... South you go. Yeah, that is a New York City <laughs> face if I've ever seen one. <laughs> So Waylon shakes hands and dances with Vega, but then attempts to jumping from behind, only for Savio to move and begin to work over Mercy, focusing on the arm. Well, then with a knee to the gut and a clothesline to recover, before tossing Vega out to the floor to slam and chop him. Back in the ring, Mercy tosses Savio to the ropes, who comes back with a thez press, only to be caught. But Waylon's leg gives out, dropping Vega chin first across the ropes. For a two count. Doc Hendricks then cuts in with some breaking news. Beep, beep, beep. I feel like Owen Hart has not arrived to the building as of yet. Oh no, guys. What the fuck? That sounds like, a, that sounds like a problem. Come on, Owen. Could very much well be. Mercy delivers a side slam for a near fall, attempts an elbow drop, only for Savio to move. But Waylon recovers to lock on a sleeper. Mercy has a crazy look on his face as Vega escapes by driving Waylon into a turnbuckle. 
but Mercy comes right back with another sleeper, only to be broken up by a back suplex. Savio's to his feet first, allowing him to fire up with a headbutt, a big boot, a standing heel kick for a two count. Vega continues with a bulldog for a near fall, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Waylon to hit a clothesline and a brain buster for a two count. Gnarly brain buster. He really busted his brain. <laughs> Mercy with a back suplex for another two, goes for a body slam, only for Savio to counter into a German suplex for a near fall. Vega then runs the ropes to deliver a spinning wheel kick for the pin and, and the win. win. Oh, of the not-so-bridging German suplex. <laughs> he's like, he's like ah, ah, I'm just, what a debut. Yeah. Speaking of debuts, this will be the last time we ever see Waylon Mercy. Mm. Oh man! But the, what about the worm spot? That didn't wasn't enough to put him over. Did you see him moving about in this uh, room? Yeah, it looked like Dan's vibe. They've got <laughs> other plans for worms in the future. A couple different ones. <laughs> they didn't like. I never Vince, liked Dan's vibe. Vince liked the character and wanted to give him a push. But once he saw him in the ring and saw how bad the knees and knees were, he was like, yeah, this isn't going to last very long. Yeah. No. You're not Sid. You're not Taker. You're just not. You're uh, Dangerous Dan and <laughs> Spivey, but older. Yeah. Bit of a problem. Yep. With the weird accent now. Doc Hendricks has then entered Camp Cornette's locker room, where President Gorilla Monsoon is arguing with Jim. Gorilla's saying that Cornette knows what time everybody should be there by. And Jim assures him that Owen is there, explaining that he is in Michigan. Cornette then is annoyed by Doc's presence, which aren't we all? Yep, mostly. Asking him what he wants, and so Hendricks asks if the main event is in jeopardy. Monsoon responds with a no. The match will happen. Before returning to argue with Jim as Doc sends it back to Vince. And we head to our second match. Psycho Sid with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase versus Henry O. Godwin. Old Hog Man himself. We get a video package showing us Hog slopping Sid this past weekend on an episode of Superstars, which led to Psycho Sid living up to his name in the back. Going crazy on furniture. We get another video where we see Godwin slop Million Dollar Man on a Raw earlier in the month before Sid would powerbomb him on the floor on that same episode of Superstars. Slop cam. So Godwin coming into the match a little hurt from the powerbomb. So the two men grapple their way into a corner before exchanging punches when Henry would knock Psycho Sid out to the apron in the slobber knocker of a match. Hog suplexes Sid back into the ring, but it hurts his back, so it prevents him from slamming Psycho Sid, allowing Sid to drive a knee into the back, sending Godwin out to the floor. DiBiase gets a few kicks in before Psycho Sid comes off the apron multiple times with a double axe handle, hammering away on the back of Henry. Back in the ring, Sid continues to punish the back with clubbing forearms, Irish whips into turnbuckles, followed by several camel clutches. Hog attempts comebacks, but every time Psycho Sid puts a stop to it, 
until Godwin avoids a corner charge, allowing him to rally with right hands and a shoulder tackle. Henry then nails Sid with a slop drop, goes for the cover, only for the million dollar man to pull Hogg out to the floor. Godwin then stalks after DiBiase momentarily, but goes to get back in the ring to avoid a countout, only for Psycho Sid to knee him in the gut. Henry then retaliates with right hands, goes to run the ropes, only for the million dollar man to trip him up from the floor again, allowing Sid to land a leg drop and a power bomb for the pin and, and the win. win. Post-match, DiBiase and Psycho Sid argue over who will slop Hog, which brings Bam Bam Bigelow out to attack them. Kama then arrives as well to attack Bam Bam, allowing Sid to help hold Bigelow for Million Dollar Man to slop him. But Godwin has recovered, grabbing the bucket away from DiBiase before dumping it all over the Million Dollar Man. Ted. Vince McMahon loves this. Mm-hmm. You know he loves slop. I wonder if this is something he wanted to do with, like, <laughs> Hillbilly Jim back in the day. I wonder if Hillbilly Jim was able to say no, or if they just decided against it. Uh, they probably couldn't come <gasps> up with uh, yeah, it's the perfect a big old slop recipe. Yeah, the perfect slop recipe, probably. <laughs> Yeah, Damn just, it, why didn't I make that? Yeah, just you can put, uh, get, get a... Call brother up and be like, I need the slop recipe. You just get a large side of coleslaw from KFC and then add water. <laughs> I think that's the recipe. We go back to Cornette's locker room where bickering is still going on with Gorilla saying the match will still go on. Whether it be Yokozuna single-handedly defending the titles or Camp Cornette finds a replacement. Jim asks if the replacement can win one of the singles titles, and Monsoon agrees to it. So Cornette says he will find somebody. We then go to our third match. The British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, versus Bam Bam Bigelow. And we get a video package where we see Bulldog turn on Diesel during a tag match versus Men on a Mission on an episode of Raw. And this is what started the Bulldog He'll turn. So the match gets going as Bam Bam flusters Davy Boy early on with shoulder blocks, a slam, and hip tosses, sending Bulldog out to the floor to regroup. We get a split screen while the match is still going on where we see Cornette speaking with Psycho Sid, trying to recruit him. But Sid just says that he wants too much money. I mean, you know, if uh, if you're doing a favor, you might want to get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. Who who wants a an opportunity to win the heavyweight championship? <laughs> uh, not if it doesn't pay enough. Uh, uh, Bulldog here has, you know, he's working heel, so cut cut those uh, braids off. He's got a nice like crew cut. Yeah. Live action continues as Bigelow misses an elbow drop, allowing Davy Boy to work a chin lock before delivering a snap suplex. But Bam Bam no-sells it and hits multiple clotheslines before charging at the Bulldog, who pulls the top rope down, sending Bigelow crashing out to the floor. Davy Boy tries to bring Bam Bam in the hard way, only for Bigelow to reverse, dumping the Bulldog onto the ropes to make him a chihuahua. <laughs> Bam Bam heads up top, hitting a flying headbutt for a two-count, causing Bigelow to argue with the ref allowing Davy Boy to chop block the knee from behind. And the Bulldog starts working over the leg, 
cutting off any comebacks until Davy Boy's slam attempt fails as Bam Bam lands on top for a near fall. Bigelow then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing the Bulldog to go for a sunset flip, only for Bam Bam to butt drop down. Bigelow then heads up top for a moonsault, only for Davy Boy to avoid and climb the top rope himself for a flying headbutt for a two count. The two men start trading strikes until Bulldog reverses an Irish whip into a turnbuckle, with Bam Bam bouncing right out into a power slam from Davy Boy for the pin and the win. It happened. It did. Yep. <laughs> we see Godwin and DiBiase on the superstar hotlines. They're they're in different rooms, so like they can still be mad at each other because <laughs> Hog's pretty happy about his win, but Million Dollar Man's ranting and raving. Yeah. On the phone. We then get an ad for WrestleMania, the special. Oh. It was a one-hour show that would air on Fox, showing the two main events from WrestleMania: the, okay. the Diesel Sean matchup and yeah. the Bam Bam Lawrence Taylor matchup. Pretty, uh, yeah. I was like. Oh, a WrestleMania ad. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah, that threw me for a second. See, I've seen like, this. I, and I was like, oh, it's like, oh, this is just a, I, they're just playing, I thought they were just playing all of WrestleMania on regular TV. On regular TV. And I was like, damn, uh, I guess they were trying to drum up interest. But either way, if, whether that's obviously what they're doing, but it's not the whole show. No. So that's it's just our two main events. One of which, a uh, pretty good way to try to interest people. Yeah. And the other one, of course, is a star. So. It's like, even if you're not, don't know wrestling, you probably know who Lawrence Taylor is. So we go to our fourth match. Dean Douglas with Bob Backlund versus Razor Ramon. And Backlund has made his way out to the ring with a dictionary in hand, telling the crowd not to exacerbate him. He continues by calling everyone plebeians, and they have acute limitations, accusing them of being stagnant before introducing someone that criticizes and disciplines his students in Dean Douglas. Vincent sends us to a video package where we see the confrontation from SummerSlam. Dean getting a win on 1-2-3-Ken only to pull him off the mat, which brings the bad guy to the ring. We then see Ramon and the kid have a match this past weekend on Raw, where 1-2-3 won after interference from Douglas. The reason Ramon and Kid were having a match is because the kid's been like, I know I beat you in the past, but I I think I need to beat you again to to like show everyone that I really am a good wrestler. That was kind of the reason why they were matching up again. We go back to the ring, and Dean takes the mic, and he says, Razor will fail this test if he didn't study. So if he did study, he will... Pass the, the test. test. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. I'm hoping he's a bad student. Is that what he's hoping? I mean, he's a bad guy. He's probably just bad at everything. <laughs> so the bad guy rushes the ring, attacking Douglas with right hands and a clothesline to send Dean out to the floor. Back in the ring, the two are back and forth on the mat until Razor reverses a hip toss with one of his own, sending Douglas over the ropes out to the floor. We get a split screen again where we see Yokozuna and King Mabel staring each other down while Cornette gives a spiel. And it doesn't look like 
Mabel's going to take him up on his offer. I know, but at first, Cornet's just smirking like an idiot right between their big fat heads, and it's very funny. I mean, the idea of those two as a tag team is very, very frightening. It's large. <laughs> but yeah, I'm wondering if Mabel was just there in spirit only, already being told that you are not getting in the ring with my champion again because you heard him the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of shot yourself in the foot, even though you were, you know, you... The goodwill from King of the Ring got devalued quite a bit uh, after that, I yeah. might imagine. Back in the ring, the two trade wrist locks and reversals when Ramon catches Dean and delivers a fallaway slam for a two count. The bad guy goes back to the arm before sending Douglas to the corner, only for him to leap up to the second rope and act like he's going to jump off with a crossbody, causing Ramon to drop to the mat. Once Razor raises back up to his feet, Dean then leaps off with a sunset flip, only for the bad guy to stay up and punch down. I mean, he's got like a foot on you, brother. <laughs> but the two end up trading pin attempts for Tukus. Razor then nails a clothesline and goes back to the arm, but Douglas escapes by tossing Ramon over the ropes to the floor, falling out with a plancha. And Dean starts working the back by ramming the bad guy into the apron, hitting a body slam before kneeing him into the steps and slamming his back against the ring post. Posted. There it is. Back in the ring, the back work will continue as Douglas locks on a bow and arrow stretch before coming off the second rope with a splash for a deer fall. Dean would apply a chin lock, which Ramon fires up out of with an electric chair drop. But Douglas is up first, making a pin for a two count. I heard that uh, Razor went to a pretty tough high school. His high school newspaper had an obituary column. It's the kind of genius stuff we get from Jerry Lawler. That's hardcore. <laughs> the two trade strikes when Razor starts tossing the Dean back and forth between turnbuckles, following with clotheslines and setting him on the top rope. But he's elbowed away, allowing Douglas to come off with a crossbody that is rolled through for the bad guy to get a near fall. Dean then pulls Razor by the trunks, sending him into the ref, allowing Douglas to go for another second rope splash, only for Ramon to avoid. The bad guy then hits the Razor's edge, as one, two, three kid slides into the ring to make the three count. So Ramon thinks he has won, until he realizes who made the count. What are you thinking, kid? Razor shoves the kid out of the ring, allowing Dean to roll him up for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And that's how you get a heel over. Post-match, the bad guy is frustrated, pulling one, two, three back into the ring where they shove each other and look like they're going to go when officials show up to stop them. They continue to yell at each other, but finally agree. To leave the ring. Bad blood is brewing. And that's not for a couple years. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see uh, Dean. This is a little long, but the psychology was good. We then get an ad for In Your House 4 with Todd Pettengale narration. Bum, bum, bum. Where are we going next? It's going to be in Canada. Woo! Where Undertaker will avenge his King of the Ring loss to King Mabel along with the debut of the Bizarre Gold Dust. Alrighty. Mm -hmm. I love uh, <laughs> the Bizarre One. He's so bizarre. 
So bizarre. How bizarre? Gold dust bizarre. Sorry. You were saying, Michael? Oh, it's, I don't know who does it, but they say, can't even say, somebody says his name wrong. They just call him Gold Dust. Gold Dust. And it made me laugh. Doc Hendricks back in the locker room, and he has HBK's hat and sunglasses on to make him look even more ridiculous than usual. Mm-hmm. But he's shelling merch, so call that 1-800 number we can't see on the screen. He then introduces Sean and Diesel, asking them their thoughts on the Owen situation. And Michael says he's frustrated, comparing it to being unable to date a girl because she's too crazy. Patty in the head. (laughs) She's batty in the head. Heartbreak Kid then asks if the gig is going to happen, with Big Daddy Cool chiming in that he smells a rat. But Sean says that's just Doc. Yep. That's a good joke. Diesel thinks something is up, but it doesn't matter, because when it's all over, two dudes with attitudes... Will be two chaps with four straps. I mean, that's that's a line. It might be the best line Diesel's ever had. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, Sean probably gave made it up for him. We then go to our fifth match: Jean Pierre Lafitte versus Brett the Hitman Hart, and we get a video package showing us that Jean Pierre stealing sunglasses from fans, and then Brett's jacket. During a recent appearance. Motherfucker. So. What is it with those hearts getting their jackets stolen all the time? I mean, Natty had it happen just a couple years ago when somebody tried to steal the Anvil's jacket. (laughs) It's a cool jacket, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's got tassels, shoulder pads. Jacket thieving motherfuckers. We get another video where we see the two men attacking each other a few weeks prior on an episode of Superstars. Before going to the back where we get Heart saying this match is Captain Crook versus Captain Crunch. Maybe one of the worst Bret Hart lines. <laughs> he I continues guess. by saying Lafitte fancies himself a pirate. Well, tonight he should walk the plank. And as he finishes, the camera follows him as he enters the arena through the front door of the set instead of the garage like everybody else comes out. I thought that was a fun little camera shot. Yeah. And speaking about Jean-Pierre, you might ask if the eye patch is an issue because he wears an eye patch literally over his face, our left, our yeah, left, yeah. his right, yeah, eye. But he actually only has one eye. Oh that. yeah, mm-hmm. he's got a glass eye. Yeah, I mean maybe not with the eye patch on. I feel like you got to have something in there, right? You can't just have. Stuff yeah, he has in a glass there. eye in there, oh, yeah. in there now as PCO. Yeah, he's glued shut. <laughs> Well, he has that. He yeah, has that yeah. weird eye as PCO now. Yeah, yeah. I knew I've seen that before, but I just always assumed it was like a contact or something. I didn't know he was actually blind in one eye. Yep. Lafitte is also wearing the stolen jacket out in the ring. He's being pretty ballsy here. Yeah, I mean, big old pop for uh, for Brett, but I mean, Brett's a star. So Brett makes it into the ring, and then he just starts it off by flying through the ropes with a tope suicida. Nearly landing on his head. It's a scary fall. I was like, yeah. Ooh. Before they brawl on the floor as Brett retrieves his jacket. I know PCO just, or sorry, Jean-Paul Lafayette, just instead of catching uh, Brett, he just kind of like pops him up. And I'm sure Brett was pissed. <laughs> like, cause it just looks like he's just like, <laughs> and it's like, no, dude, you're supposed to, you're supposed to like catch him, break the fall, not, uh, you know, 
assist him in getting further. This yeah. isn't a high jump. It's not a volleyball set. Or <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Back in the ring, the hitman keeps up the attack with turnbuckle smashes, elbows, and headbutts. Only for Jean-Pierre to fight back to send Hart to the corner. Following in after, only for Brett to avoid. The hitman begins to work the arm, only for Lafitte to fight his way free. But Hart recovers for a crucifix pin attempt for two. More arm work when Jean-Pierre answers with a clothesline. Stomps and chokes to take control. Before Brett counters a back body drop into a roll up for a near fall. Hitman then reverses an Irish whip. Charging in after, only for Lafitte to avoid, sending Hart shoulder first into the ring post, followed by tossing him into it again as well. I love the uh, heel kids in the front, like on like the the what are they called the the steady cam or whatever. They're in like maybe the first row or second row or whatever, but they keep uh, you know cheering on. The heels, they're little shits, uh, and it's funny. They're like teenagers, or you know, it's just fun to see. You don't see a whole lot of uh, heel love, especially at a WWF show. No. Not yet, anyways. No. Chest first bump into the turnbuckles by Brett for a two count, followed by charging at the hitman, only for Jean Pierre to be back body dropped out to the floor. Lafitte then drags Hart out to the floor as well to toss him into the steel steps before rolling back in to deliver a spine buster and a leg drop for a near fall. Oh, Jerry Lawler says he doesn't have any character. Uh, he's a thief. And I'm like, well, he is a, a character. He's a fucking pirate. <laughs> That's his character. <laughs> yeah. Jean-Pierre applies a chin lock when Brett begins to fire up. But Lafitte stops the comeback with a leg drop and goes back to the chin lock which the hitman then escapes and nails a sunset flip for a two-count, only for Jean-Pierre to retaliate with a clothesline to regain control. Side slam, and Lafitte heads up top for a leg drop for a near fall. He goes up top again for a cannonball, which is a somersault senton, only for Hart to move. He eats that Ethan mat. Brett then fires up with an atomic drop, Clothesline goes for the sharpshooter, but Jean-Pierre kicks him off, sending the hitman out to the floor, where Lafitte follows out with a cannonball over the ropes, only for Hart to move out of the way. I mean, it's one to do it into the ring, but he takes a nobody home senton, somersault senton to the floor. Yeah. And that's not concrete, because if it was, it'd be a real problem. <laughs> Brett then sends Jean-Pierre into the still steps before rolling back into the ring to deliver a shot to the gut, a Russian leg sweep for a two count, and follows up with a roll-up for a near fall. The hitman continues with a backbreaker, a second rope knee drop, only for Lafitte to get a boot up into the chin of Hart. Jean-Pierre then sends Brett to the ropes, who comes back with a crucifix, but Lafitte catches him and counters with a rolling Samoan drop for a two count. Jean-Pierre then tosses Hitman to the corner, where he tries to leap up and over a charging Lafitte, but he's caught, and tries to pull him out of the corner. But Hart's holding onto the ropes, which trips them up, with Brett on top, for a near fall. The Hitman then charges into a knee in the corner, so Jean-Pierre makes a cover with leverage for a two-count. Lafitte's arguing with the ref, 
allowing Hart to recover to hit a drop kick, and he goes for a bulldog. But Jean-Pierre just shoves him hard into the turnbuckle for a near fall as Brett gets his boot on the ropes. The hitman with a shoulder tackle to send Lafitte against the ropes, charging in with a crossbody. But Jean-Pierre moves, causing Hart to crotch himself. Lafitte then heads up top for a flying headbutt. But Brett avoids, and both men are down. Which, uh, like, you would think the man would just be like, I shouldn't come off the top anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Brett Hart's not going to let me land on him. Once back to their feet, they collide for a double KO. But the hitman then crawls his way over to apply the sharpshooter from the mat for the submission and And the the win. This will be the last time we see Jean-Pierre until he joins a former tag team partner in a different company in about a year. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I love that Jerry Lawler, right after the match, just breaks his pencil in anger. Still mad about that? Damn, Bret Hart did it again. Bret Hart feud. Ah, I mean, I've been pretty mad if anybody put their feet in my mouth What's it going to take? I mean... $150,000. <laughs> tried kissing feet. We tried crazy dentists. We tried one-eyed pirates. Oh, yeah. It is funny that Brett's just like, all right, well, after the Jerry Lawler thing, I guess I'll do the most... the fight, Have matches with the wackiest of characters. Have, like, decent matches with people that don't deserve a Bret Hart match. Not saying, like, you know... Isaac Yankum is uh, was an untested talent, basically. Who would have thought that twenty seven years later, old Jean Pierre, Jean Paul, whatever the hell his name is, yeah. that he would be one of the ones that's still out there active, doing his thing. Out of I, all these guys, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I never would have right. imagined that. You know, also back like, in the the Quebecer days, even. he's he's. Pretty, he's really good here, yeah. and I mean, it's like one of those things. Where I'm mean, like, oh, why doesn't he stick around? He's really good, but also he's in a Bret. Hart he's match. also in a Bret Hart match, yeah. so it, it makes him look really good. As yeah, well. yeah. Like yeah. I mean, but we've seen some guys not have as great as good of matches with Bret Hart. So I'm not sure. Is it? Is he? Was he just a glorified chopper? Are they? Uh, were they mad at him for not catching Bret Hart? <laughs> or they're just like, yeah, we're moving on. I think his contract probably just ran yeah. out. Yeah. I think he just hadn't been used in the longest time, and it was, let's get some use out of him since we've been paying him to stay home for six months. Yeah. We get Doc Hendricks back in Camp Cornette's locker room, and they've decided on a replacement, and it's Davy Boy Smith. As Cornette says, sometimes the things you search hardest for are right under your nose. And Monsoon sanctions the Bulldog as a member of the match and as half of the tag team champions for the night. Vince then introduces Alundra Blaze. Wait, who's she? Who comes out to the ring modeling the pay-per-view t-shirt. And McMahon and JR shield the merchandise as Alundra finds a VHS tape in the bushes of the set, which you can get for free if you order now. Now they don't tell you what tape you're getting. They say like because uh, if you because if you noticed, 
It was a blank VHS tape. Uh, yeah, but I think they call they call it like a like classic or something like that. But they don't tell you exactly what's going to be on that tape. They no, just no. tell you you're going to get a VHS tape. It's bunkhouse stampede for everybody. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Gotta bring it up at least once. I'm trying season. to think of like what's a really bad uh, like a disappointing WWF show that it could be. Well, I could. I'll tell you in a couple weeks which one. <laughs> so we go to our sixth match. Yokozuna and the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, with Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji, versus two dudes with attitude of Diesel and Shawn Michaels in a triple header match for the WWF Heavyweight, Intercontinental, and World Tag Team Championships. I mean, that's kind of a lot. I don't think that's been done before. It had been done in ECW before. In an ultimate... They called it an ultimate Jeopardy match. Yeah. But the one time they did it, we didn't have... Couldn't find the videotape for it. Yeah, yeah. But it seems seems like a lot for uh, a WWF match, right? It does indeed. But the real question is, they're all champions. So... Foreshadowing? <laughs> I love that, uh, yeah, like... That like, who entered first, though? I forget. Yokozuna. Yoko Bulldog. Was Bulldog the very first one to come out? Because if so, he's not technically. He's just filling in. He's a, He was sanctioned. He was sanctioned. As but, a tag team champion yeah. for the night. I mean, he's... Uh, I mean, Jim Cornette said it earlier. It's like, uh, even though he wrestled once tonight, he's the man for the job. Mm-hmm. He's the one that I expected to be there in the first place, and then he had his match, and was like, all right, well, maybe they're going somewhere else. They swerved you. Yeah. Those 90s fuckers. So the rules of this match, basically, whoever gets pinned loses their title with while the person who pins them gets their belt, basically. Yeah, so if you... So if, like, one of the tag guys gets pinned, then both the belts go to the other guys. Correct. It's not just you get... You are now in a... Uh, you are, you, you're, yeah, it's uh, not going to get a Sean Yokozuna. <laughs> That'd be that's that sounds tag fun team. though. Like, would, <laughs> yeah, to have you know, if that were to happen. Yeah. yeah, it's like I love the Cebu RVD tag team because half of the match they just are fighting each other, and I think it's a fun. And I think Yoko and Sean probably could do that well. But chances are that's not what's happening here. Probably not. So we see Big Daddy Cool and HBK play rock, paper, scissors to decide who's going to go first. Who's going to start the match. So we get Michaels and Bulldog trading holds and takedowns to start when Sean hits a back body drop and a clothesline to send Davy Boy out to the floor. I love Yoko's just leaning on the ropes and it's like a full foot down. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's crazy how, uh, yep. uh, how, how heavy the man is. Like corner boob rope. <laughs> Yoko comes in only for the dudes with the attitude to fight him off, knocking him down to the floor as well. Zuna then enters the ring with HBK challenging him to a sumo match, only for Michaels to slide under him. But then he runs into a back elbow from Yoko Zuna. Yeah, cute spot. Yoko slams Sean but misses an elbow drop, allowing Diesel to tag in, only for Zuna to clothesline him. Big Daddy Cool recovers to hit a leaping clothesline and a big boot to send Yokozuna tumbling out to the floor. Where Diesel grabs Yoko by the hair, trying to drag him back in. Only for the Bulldog to attack 
from the apron. Davy Boy keeps it up, trying for several suplexes before finally getting him over, but then fails on a running power slam as Big Daddy Cool slips free, sending Bulldog headfirst into a turnbuckle. Diesel hits multiple clotheslines before tagging in HBK, who nails a flying splash off the shoulders of Diesel for a two count. Davy Boy then recovers to press slam Michaels onto the ropes, which crotches him, allowing Yokozuna to elbow him off to the floor. This is where Camp Cornette begins to work over Sean, sending him into the still steps before rolling the heartbreak kid back in for chokes, chops, and a flare flip out to the floor. Bulldog then hits a body slam on the outside before tagging in to keep up the attack inside the ring with a back body drop for a near fall. Davy Boy with a chin lock, but Michaels fires up with a sunset flip for two, followed by a crossbody for a near fall. The Bulldog recovers immediately with a clothesline, allowing Yoko to tag in and apply a nerve hole. Mm-hmm. Yay. Go for the traps. I feel like it's been a while for the old nerve hole. Yep, but I mean, you know, Yoko's here. We can't do much else at 700 pounds. Uh, I believe Jerry Lawler says he hasn't seen, uh, the world hasn't seen a leg like that since the Brontosaurus died out. And Moon Man's like, well, he gets, he's, he's bigger and bigger every time we see him. It's like, yeah, we can tell. Yeah, you've been saying that every show. <laughs> Zuna lets it go so he can attempt a bonsai drop. Only for HBK to move and crawl his way to the corner for a hot tag. Right hands, back body drop, snake eyes, body guillotine, and a side slam on Davy Boy when all four men are in the ring, where the dudes send their opponents into each other several times. Big Daddy Cool hits a big boot to the bulldog, goes for the jackknife as Cornette jumps on the apron. So Sean deals with him, allowing Yoko to nail Diesel with a Samoan drop. Michaels then delivers sweet chin music to Zuna to knock him out to the floor, while Davy Boy hits the running power slam on Big Daddy Cool for the pin, and no, HBK breaks it up. With the elbow drop, it's pretty hot shit. All of a sudden, Owen Hart has run out, and he climbs to the top turnbuckle, diving off, only for Diesel to punch him in midair. Followed by a jackknife powerbomb for the pin and the win. And you! He just pinned Owen Hart? That's why I was like, but that's Owen Hart. He's not the tag team champion during this match. Right, he's not sanctioned. We've been talking this. The whole show has bled up to the point where. Post match. Two dudes with attitudes celebrate with the belts, but the finish, if it confused you, it confused JR as well, not understanding how they could pin Owen. McMahon just kind of ignores him <laughs> and says his goodbyes as fireworks explode. I love that Shawn Michaels uh, just jumps on uh, Big Daddy Cool's uh, back like a cute little otter. Yep. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> we then get a highlight package. From the evening, before fading to black. So I have a couple interesting notes here for us. Alright. First one, the reason Owen wasn't in this match. His wife went into labor 
oh. earlier in the week, and they weren't sure if he was going to make it to the show, basically. So they decided to make it part of the story. You know, I, it makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those things like, yeah, if you're not hurt, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, you should be there when your son slash daughter or whatever is born. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, good for them for not... Uh, being like, nope, you got to be a hero. And... Exactly. <laughs> the next night on Raw, Cornette would bring out his lawyer, Clarence Mason. Gross. Arguing that Owen wasn't in the match. And Monsoon agreed and returned the belts to Yokozuna and Owen Hart. Okay. Well, I mean, a little convoluted, but at least there's some reasons for it. <laughs> But he would then put him in a match with the Smoking Guns, which they promptly lost to. So the Smoking Guns are our new tag team champions. Hey, the Smoking Guns been around for a long time. I don't think deserves the right word, but they've only gotten better, so you know. Why not? you got to elevate them at some point. Well, haven't they been already the champions? I'm trying to remember. Nope, not at this are point. Are they not? Okay. Nope. Oh, that's right. But it's they just one of those, like... And then they got knocked out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, wait. So I was thinking they, they, did, did. they did win because they got... Knocked out of the tournament because of an injury. So then they came back and beat whoever won the tournament the next night. They haven't had that. So literally, they've won the two times they've won the belt has been a raw after a pay per view. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the things like, oh, well, you know, we might as well try to make these guys a thing on. In front of people. So, but basically, both times they've won the belts. It's just like <laughs> it, was the, it was the night after a big tag team match, and then they just were like, oh, "Whatever." Yeah, it's <laughs> so, like it's just like yeah. What, what was the point of the match? <laughs> yep, I don't understand that myself. I just can't pull the trigger on the gun. It was so they could introduce <laughs> Clarence Mason. That's what it was. I guess so. And he sticks around here and there for the next few years. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of In Your House 3? Well, you could hear our enthusiasm throughout the show. I'd say it's not great, but there were some surprises. They were not incredible surprises. It was nice to see uh, Dean. Dean's doing a good job here. It was interesting to see Spivey. He was uh, pretty bad here. And then uh, JPL had the benefit of working with Bret Hart, but also had the benefit of uh, knowing how to wrestle and having some flashy moves, even though he had to be dressed like a goddamn pirate, which is stupid. Technically, did you actually think he was a pirate with the way he was dressed? No, that's just what they'd said it was. Yeah, like literally that's yeah. what my thought was. That, like, they if they hadn't told me that he was a pirate, I would have been like, okay, he just has an eye injury. Like, literally, the eye patch is the only thing that was, like, Yeah, if anything, pirate. if anything, it was more Mad Max. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> than, than pirate. Okay. But Mad Max is kind of, everybody kind of looks like a dirt pirate. So, like, it is what it is. Um, a dirt, dirt leather pirate. How about you, Shane? Yeah, this, uh, I think my opinion of this show can be summed up in one three-letter word, which is meh. <laughs> It wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. Stuff happened. I wouldn't implore you to watch this. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very skippable like, show. There's nothing outstanding on the show, but there's really nothing to complain about either. Yeah. 
So it's kind of I, like, I kind of feel like that actually is probably a plus for the WWF right now because with these horrible main events that we've had recently with Diesel, yeah, like this was actually a pretty fun main event. Yeah, it was the crowd was and, into and it. Cons- it was and hot. considering Yokozuna and Diesel, who are both very limited, yeah. Thankfully, we had the uh, the Sean and Sean and, and Davy Boy. Yeah, like it was actually. I mean, it was it was pretty well. It's like okay, it was considering the weird Owen angle and whatnot. It was pretty well put together, but we can probably thank Jim Cornette for that. <laughs> I'd imagine that he probably helped put this together, and he can he knows what the fuck tag team wrestling is. If anybody knows what tag team wrestling is in this company at the moment, it's Jim Cornette. <laughs> And you got Lex over there probably like, damn it, I could have been in a main event. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Uh, when old PCO, JPL, whatever, uh, does the somersault sent on the second one, to the floor, and I just was... Cringed. Yeah, I was like, no, my God. Couldn't believe it. That's, that's like a pretty high-flying and violent spot for a WWF show. I like the Dean Razor match. It had some good psychology to it. Yeah, I think it was maybe the best thing here outside of the tag match, but I think that it went a little long, and they went back, yeah. to, they went back to the well on some spots... A little, like, one too many times. I but uh, psychology-wise, yeah, it was, I mean, Dean Douglas uh, knows what he's doing. I mean, as we said earlier, Lafitte showed up and at least put on a decent performance. And that might just be because he was in the ring with Hart, but at least he didn't stink up the place. Basically. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's what's the, uh, that famous famous match uh air quotes of uh with the guy who they wanted to uh tom with it was... oh with brett yeah um the lost match it's like yeah what was his name tom something or tim something i don't know the guy could basically do like a, a flip no, off no. The... he could do like a flip off the top or whatever yeah. and they were like oh and it's like oh well brett just like knew what the guy could do so he worked around that and then when they saw the guy I've matched other people. They're like, "Oh, well, he can't do that with anybody else because he d- doesn't look bad uh, there at all." Whereas John Paul, you know, can do more than than that giant man, and he got to work with Bret Hart. If you have a bad match with Bret Hart, you have no business being in the wrestling business. Name. McGee, McGee, Tom, Tom McGee. McGee. Yeah, Tom McGee sounds like he should be working for uh, fucking. J- JCP. That's a JCP wrestling name. That is a JCP wrestling <laughs> name. Um, best moments for me. Honestly, this uh, is tough. Going from... I mean, literally... Uh, coming from the last show, yeah. Th- there, there's nothing that's just like... That stands out as like this moment. I'll say it's it's it wasn't said on the show and it's not in my script, but uh, there was point during this podcast where matt said and this was the last time that we will ever see dan spivey again or Waylon mercy again so <laughs> that will be my best moment of the show yeah like i i could see the show happening while we were going through this i got kind of sleepy 
Either that or... I was, like, or... kind of dozing off, and my, my brain was, like, just... Uh, hmm. Either that or the, Cornette's the... little twinkle in his eye when he had Yoko and Mabel possibly as a team. Yeah. I mean, the the segments with Cornette running around trying to get someone to be the replacement were, were fun, pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, Cornette always delivers. Exactly. Like, he's just... Yeah, he is uh, ever the professional. How about most disappointing? Waylon Mercy's knees. Yeah. Or just yeah, Waylon Mercy. I almost just kind of feel bad for the guy, because like that, because I can see that character being good and being something. Yeah, it could be interesting. It's it's more interesting than like Henry O'Godwin. Yeah, yeah. Because at least it's like oh, this scary, creepy Southern guy. Most disappointing that now Million Dollar Man is just having slap thrown on him. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was silly that they were arguing about who gets to slop him. It's like, does, isn't it a win if he just gets slopped? I mean, isn't it, hey, I'm the guy with the money that pays your bills, so I'll do whatever the fuck I want? But isn't Sid just the crazy guy? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but isn't Sid... might not give a shit that he's paying him and right. kill him anyway? Sid's 6'6 and has like... Ted's put up with snakes and snookas and giants and <laughs> savages. He can handle a psycho. Anything else? I mean, it's the energy um, of the show. Mil- My yeah. energy for the show. It was. Just I mean, milk. To- it's milk toast. For, for me, the, the disappointing thing. Milk steak. <laughs> disappointing thing for me it was like learning that literally the next night they were like, "Okay, yeah, Owen wasn't part of the match, so here's the tag team belts back." Yep. And then literally within the hour, they lose them to the smoking guns. I'm just like, do something else. Then just yeah, or, do, or do, just don't put the belts on the line. Like you just wanted the, you needed to get Davy Boy into the main event because that's Diesel's next big feud. So just do something else. You know, who knows? Revisionist history. It got yeah, it, it got the job done. Yeah, maybe uh, not the most, uh, not maybe not the cleanest or most interesting way to do it. How about best performer of the night? Probably Brett, and I really Dean. Dean's just really a really good heel. He's got his character, uh, and pe- the people fucking hate him. And uh, oh yeah, most he's... disappointing also Doc Hendricks. <laughs> best performer. It's like well, I'm giving it to Cornette. I mean, yeah, I'm fine with that too, uh, but. I always feel that way about about corny. Or maybe I should give it to Diesel for finally having a good promo. <laughs> mm, yeah, why not? He, and he didn't fuck up the main event like he has been in the past couple shows. It's, well, he had a lot of he had some uh, solid help in uh, stinking up the joint in Jim Cornette and Sean and Bulldog, who have been. It's very uh, true. Wrestling yep. for a long time at this point and uh, doing it at uh, a high caliber for the majority of their career. I'm going to give it to Providence Pizza Kitchen or Pizza Company because <laughs> they were delicious. They were delicious. How about most surprising? I mean, Spivey and J- old JPLPCO because I was like, oh, damn, all right. Um, wasn't ready for that. I there's not really. A, but somebody thought, yeah, we need this show right now, with these matches. 
Because, I mean, they seriously could have just done Monday Night Raw with half of these, and they could have done a Saturday Night's main event if those were still going on. I can't remember, which I don't think they were, but... This might be the first one where it's like... Unnecessary. Where it's like... uh, Like the entire show. Maybe those monthly shows aren't the best idea. Yeah, exactly. It's like you you need to build feuds for pay-per-view. Don't force feuds for a pay-per-view and this is like the first real argument for that where it's like oh maybe there's a reason that we only do so many of these a year because i mean let me look back again through these because we all know that's a problem now where there's probably like a wwf premium live event every three weeks and nobody cares about any of them Savio Vega. I mean, that's why we're just rematches Savio and Waylon. did they have any bad blood before I don't think it really says anything. He's just going to squash him like a worm, so that match didn't really even need to happen. That's just debuting. I mean, Godwin and Sid, or Godwin had been feuding with the Million Dollar Corp. Yeah. Um, and Douglas Bigelow. and Ramon had had bad blood. There's stuff, but and it feels like they just... Bulldog and Diesel. Those are your big three feuds on this show. Yeah, okay, I mean... It's kind of like jumping the, and jumping the gun. Brett were fighting over a jacket, so That's okay. true, yeah. Yeah, which Good. is silly, but it's like, oh, well, it's just an excuse yeah, to so get a Bret Hart All match. of these ones just felt like they it's could not be nothing. two episodes of Monday Night Raw and saved your audience at home a couple bucks. hours and, yeah, 15, 20 bucks. It feels kind of like the least crucial WWF pay-per-view yeah. we've watched in a while. But maybe. Exactly, maybe. Just maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. After Lex Luger had won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, he would defend the title for the rest of 1991. But on February 29th, 1992, at Super Brawl 2, he would face his longtime friend in Sting. The two men would trade power moves early on until Sting would attempt the Scorpion Deathlock, but Luger would reach the ropes. Lex would rake the eyes of the Stinger, allowing him to start a lengthy beatdown, which included a press slam and a pile driver. Sting would begin to fight back, but would fly out of the ring after a missed clothesline, where Luger's manager, Harley Race, would attempt to pile drive him on the floor, only for the Stinger to reverse with a back body drop. Sting would then climb to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody for the pin to become the third WCW World Heavyweight Champion. The Stinger would remain champion until the summer when a monster of a man would arrive on the scene. Yeah! Sting, the man that never quite got to be champion (sighs) in any real meaningful way. (laughs) I totally forgot that Harley Race was Luger's manager. For that last little bit there. Oh, uh, Harley Race t- totally took, spaced on it. took bumps for way too long. <laughs> he loved falling on his back as a manager. Harley, Harley, Harley. I don't know if he loved it, but I'm sure he probably got an extra few bucks each time he took <laughs> one. Next week, In Your House 4. Yay. I mean, no. Because that's necessary it after could o- this show. It could only, go, could only go up from here. I mean, it is technically... Because we're going to Canada. Woo! <laughs> the Great White North. That's there Canada, right? I think so. Is that what they call it? Okay. Yep. Making sure I said the right thing. 
Music for this week's show is In Your House by Jim Johnston. In Your House. Yeah, okay, it was yeah, pretty yeah. close to that. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> and Diesel Got the Pin in our main event. So we play his theme song, Diesel Blues by Jim Johnston. Cue the harmonica. Yep. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You have any questions, comments, concerns? Recipes. We're going to Canada, so uh, hook me up with some ideas. Uh, poutine. I don't know any other Canada things. Tim Hortons. Yeah, oh, that's like there a breakfast go. place, right? Donuts, baby. Donuts. Uh, donuts. Yeah. I thought it was like a Denny's. Shows what I know. It's like a Dunkin', but okay. better, I guess. Yeah, I believe it. I've never been to one. Dunkin donuts. I've pretty, never been to one either. It's pretty trash these days. Yeah. Dear America, bring me a Tim Hortons. <laughs> But if you have any of those, email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters. They can't all be winners. The show. I'm fine with your diesel. 